10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning. You're listening to Sobia Stella Sunday. It's Sunday the 16th of January. Happy New Year. We have the best conversations coming your way. We're discussing empathy and how to develop and put it into action. Empathy Week and we're catching up with Ed Kerwin and his thoughts on education. It's another thrilling morning. Prepare for takeoff. Live from London. This is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Ed Kerwin is the CEO and founder of Empathy Week. He's an educator, filmmaker and a creative. He was unable to attend live, however, he gave us a great interview and has lots to say on empathy and education. Stay tuned. educator but then you kind of moved over to filmmaking why was it that you left the profession Mm, good question um probably something that will relate to a lot of listeners either thinking about it or they've done it um for me I I got into teaching is probably the best way to start I got into teaching through teach first program um which at the time I think it's changed quite a lot now they they try and focus on career changes but at the time I was I went into it when it was very much like grads and they were getting people out of uni and I literally just finished uni went into teaching I did three years I got promoted very very fast in fact my first year I was PGC student um but on doing it on the job and then the second year I was second in department of a science department of a school of 1600 kids in North London um I then also started a part-time master's over two years my head ahead of department became ill diagnosed with MS was off a lot so I I had a lot to deal with as a as a young teacher and I think I absolutely loved loved teaching the kids absolutely love it even to this day when I think about it it's just like there's no other job where you laugh hysterically every day but also maybe (laughs) want to despair at the same time (laughs) the next lesson um but for me, it just became a point where I was a little bit, I was i was probably burnt out. So I think I burnt out from just everything that was going on. I'd had a lot of exam classes as well that I'd managed to, I think four out of six of them were were leaving. So I didn't feel too bad about leaving all of my, my classes behind at a time that was important to them. The head teacher was changing as well. And I just thought it's a good time to leave. And I didn't actually leave to become a filmmaker. I left to just 
get a bit of space. And I also had an opportunity. I was 25. I had an opportunity to um, do a program called International Citizen Service. A lot of us will have heard of National Citizen Service, which is for kind of up to 18. International Citizen Service was 18 to 25 year olds. I was 25. I'd applied, got, got onto it. And I had a place to go to Uganda in September. And I was like, this is my only opportunity um i'm quite interested in international development it's funded um why would i not take that opportunity and so i did and i went out to uganda for three months and worked with an organization that worked with entrepreneurs um that showed me kind of the bad side of international development as well they were very aware of it um and actually the charity that i worked with were really amazing they they were basically saying you know if your entrepreneur doesn't turn up you don't do the work for them you're leaving that you're here to support them not to actually change what they're doing and they also match made you with local Ugandan on um, people the same age as you or people that are on the program so it wasn't just oh you know we're going over to save people which I think is what international development has been like for a very long time um, so that opened my eyes a lot um, I got to experience a completely different culture live with a family for for three weeks that that's for three weeks for six, uh, three months that had six children in it tried to learn a bit of the language and I suppose that started my interest even more in like different cultures and other people and then I came back and I did the sort of usual thing that teachers do like tutoring and just trying to sort out things and I, for some reason I just it's a bit weird to think about it now but I started doing projects around homelessness um, I managed to get a 500 pound grant bought a camera and started telling stories of people that are on the street which was something that I really cared about when I was teaching. So I would do assemblies on homelessness and, and picked homelessness because I was in teaching the uh, borough of Enfield, which at the time, I don't know if it is now, but had the highest kind of ability rate of all the, the London boroughs. So families moving in and out, temporary accommodation, um, and, and knowing students that were in my class that don't have a permanent residence and trying to talk about homelessness in that way rather than oh it's just personal person on the street there's so much in there Ed that I, I really need to ask you because firstly I I looked at the international citizenship service is that yeah. what it's called I yeah. remember looking at that and it did excite me at that time as well um and I did actually get through the application um but then in the end I decided not to go um mm. so it, you know hearing your experience on that is absolutely fantastic um a couple of things you mentioned that um you did a master's can you just briefly explain what your master's was about and what you were trying to do with that yeah, so um, my part-time master's was at UCL, uh, UCL Institute of Education. They just merged at the time, I think. Um, and it was my master's was in leadership and education. So it was looking at all things uh, leadership, which I know everyone will have an idea of what good leadership looks like in a school. Um, but for me, I, I focused my, particularly my dissertation on on thinking about leaders in schools, but also the motivation of teachers um in the profession and I did my dissertation based on researching at my school and a number of schools interviewing leaders and 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 teachers and thinking about okay what actually makes you stay in this job what makes you be a teacher um and I looked particularly at the retention and, and recruitment aspects of, of teaching because I was quite annoyed and, and I'm myself and I'm a statistic now <laughs> of someone that leaves before five years. Right. But, but why, you know, I should 
when I first started, I was like, I could be a career teacher, but it was other things that drove me out. And what I, what I found just from my tiny, tiny bit of research and looking into it was that teachers didn't care too much about extra money. They want, they wanted to be fairly paid, but what they really cared about was time and not having the time to really engage with their students or having to work weekends and teaching 21 22 out of 25 hours a week that is just crazy I, I the way I used to describe teaching to my friends that didn't teach was was right okay you're working in a big four company maybe or in a corporate okay this weekend or and the week before just prepare 21 different hour-long presentations to you know pitch to your your boardroom and deliver them in a week but also make sure you're on top of your emails and you're doing all this other stuff when you think about teaching it is crazy obviously it gets a little bit easier as you go along but then you often take on more responsibilities and that's what that so my master's really focused on that and that's what I found and I I found it fascinating I find leadership fascinating now it's still something that I'm I'm involved with Um, although I founded Empathy Week empathy and leadership go hand in hand and we often talk about them but that my master's was was basically focused on that and it's a shame that the government in my opinion, continue to like focus on there's a recruitment crisis. I never thought, and I I don't think there is a recruitment crisis. There are plenty of people that want to get into teaching. The problem is retention. Um, And at the time that I was doing my dissertation, there were 47,000 teachers leaving the profession and they were training 45,000 a year. So, you know, losing 2000 teachers a year, I don't know what the statistics are now. That was, you know, seven, eight years ago um, when I first started teaching. But yeah, it's crazy sorry to interrupt you presumably you did you know your master's was based in leadership do you feel that if you had been given the right support um and the right coaching and the right leadership training that might have changed the direction I mean you're loving the stuff that you're doing now and we're so Mm. glad that you're doing the things that you're doing now but do you think that had you had that right support and right leadership training that might have encouraged you to stay a bit longer um I think I think CPD is really important I think a lot of schools do it well and I think a lot of schools do it badly and I think most schools actually have a mix throughout the year you'll go to one CPD session and be like that was amazing you'll go to another and be like that was a complete waste of my time um and that that's based on paid and unpaid you know in-house and out external but I don't, for me, I actually don't think that I, I think the coaching and the mentors I had were unbelievable, like around my school. The thing that would have made me stay in teaching more would have been to have more time, to have a reduced timetable to allow. I, I think you could, you could solve a lot of retention problems by actually reducing the number of working hours, the number of lessons taught um, by each teacher each week. If you could plan your lessons in in school time and have the time to do that and also have the time to have the conversations I mean this is going to merge into why I think empathy is so important but imagine if you had the time to actually just go and speak to a student for half an hour Mm. like teachers that are listening now will be like I just don't have time to do that but I want to but if you did you could build such strong such more stronger relationships that when it comes to their works I don't know let's say a student's struggling with stuff at home them knowing that you care about that and that you know about it and that there's 
some sort of support, even if it's just a talk, can change your relationship, but can also change their work ethic, change their trust in you, and ultimately change their results in the long term. And I think if I'd had the support in terms of just having more time and not having to work, you know, 12 hour days in the week and then work on a Sunday pretty much all day to get my lessons ready to mark. I think marking is the most pointless exercise ever, <laughs> by the way. You're not alone it's, there. <laughs> uh, but I also, well, I also, I've seen schools, my um, cousin um, was deputy head, is deputy head um, of a school. I think it was in, um, I always get these mixed up, like Worthing and Woking one of them um and they didn't mark books they they didn't mark books they just marked assessments mm. but instead they had such a rigorous uh you know assessment for learning yeah. strategy within within the school day like yeah. they they had whiteboards they also had ipads every student had an ipad and i was like that's impossible but what they did is they used pupil premium funding to fund that um for the students that couldn't afford it mm. and then the students that could or the parents that could it was something like 8 pounds a month but the student kept the iPad once it was paid off. Mm. So like you, and then rather than getting whiteboard pens and all this out, they um, ended up just getting, having their own app and you could quickly just write on your iPad and bring yeah. it up. They also um, didn't print worksheets. They emailed them out. So they saved all the money they saved on photocopying they put mm. into the investment of the iPad. Presumably that comes down to leadership again, because you have to have a yeah. really strong leadership team to firstly understand ed tech and how that works. Uh, and yeah. secondly, you have to uh, really make sure that, um, you know, when you are um, rolling out your strategy, that it is effective. And like you said, um, you have to um, really think about what's worth your time in schools and what's not. And unfortunately what does happen is exactly what you said, that there are some schools that are really, really really good at doing certain things and then there are some schools that just uh, are not good at all and I do think that discrepancy between schools does impact our profession a lot and you know is a contribution to why people leave as well because I've worked in some schools which are fantastic and I've worked in others which yeah <laughs> you just sit there thinking okay this is a waste of my time being here yeah you, 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 so just to, just to add on that as well you need another reason why we need more teachers and reduce workload you need time to be able to take risks even yeah. at school I think a lot of schools and leadership within schools falls into that we don't have time and we don't have the time and effort to take that risk so yeah. we'll continue to do what we've done forever and yeah it's a risk to, to put iPads into schools and allow kids on phones and all these sort of things but in my opinion we are prepare. school is meant to prepare students for working life now I now know that I'm out of teaching I'm in in the working business world I use my phone all the time for work yet we're trying to ban phones in schools it's not about banning phones it's about showing and educating students how to use your phone and of course you know I, I understand the the risks of uh, being filmed and being on TikTok and all these things but again that comes down to actually the respect and behavior management and the protocols that you have in place as a school there, there are always going to be bad things you know I, I was sworn out punched and all sorts of things as a teacher that didn't involve a phone but we can't you know there's nothing we can do about it. we can only manage the behavior that we're doing and I think there needs to be a real boost and uptake in the use of technology because the schools that do use technology generally are just ahead of the game and their students respect that but but there's there's an 
again, you need the time and the, the uh, these leadership teams that are in these schools that are maybe struggling. I feel for them as well because they don't have the time, they don't have the resources. And then because they're struggling, they get less support, which just also doesn't make sense. Um, so I think there's, there needs to be a huge shift between in, in the uptake of technology and it, it doesn't have to be massive, but it start off small. Um, but, but banning phones and, you know, the response I got when I went back to my school and said about iPads was, well, we need to make sure that all teachers can teach first. <laughs> and you just think what's like, if that's the, you know, if that's the response that there's no trust from leadership down to the, the other teachers and and that's the problem in in my school it felt that top-down approach mm. and in good schools you don't feel as obviously there's a there's the responsibility and there is still a top-down but you don't feel you can feel you can say anything that you want yeah you feel you can do anything you want but a lot of teachers live I think in fear that they can't say this or they can't implement this in their lesson there's not enough risk and actually I think we need to have a more entrepreneurial mindset to lessons and saying to students even I'm going to try something new today I don't know if this is going to work for you but let me know how it goes and let's try and learn together yeah I mean I I agree with a lot of what you've said it does come down to common sense and I do think that there is um you know I I don't know if you're aware but there are two different schools of thought you've got the trads and you've got the prongs they call themselves and it's Mm -hmm. kind of like there's this divide that's happening within our profession and I think instead of uh, embracing good aspects of both I think the profession is becoming uh, more and more divided and the only way that that can be fixed is if there are common uh, organizations which are you know working together to ensure that everybody's working from the same format or similar format to ensure that everybody um, has the chance to succeed in life because right now I'm not seeing much of that. So Ed, what what actually started your obsession with empathy? Because your your Mm. project and all the work that you're doing now is related to that. So where did that come from? Yeah, so after I got back from Uganda and I started doing the project around homelessness that took me around the UK and then I ended up going to Mexico to the Homeless World Cup um, which is a tournament that brings 50 countries and 50 organizations that use football to support people in homelessness and social exclusion together absolutely crazy tournament Um, went to that in Mexico and I randomly spoke to the Indian team there and this guy was like, well, what do you do? You know, if you're not if you're not being paid to be here, why are you here sort of thing? And I said, well, I'm a teacher. And at this point, I was running uh, facilitating leadership courses for a private company. Um, I was still doing tutoring, said I'd done a, a, a leadership master's. And this guy um, was basically like, well, we need someone to help develop a leadership course alongside our football program in India. Do you want to come? And I just okay, I just went out. I just flew uh out on my own and lived with them for three months as well um and it was then that I I'd been out of teaching maybe a year and a half and my videography had got to a point where I was being paid to make videos now as well and I just thought hang on a minute I can match make two of my loves right education and filmmaking and storytelling together to produce a project that I was going to call Empathy Week and it was going to not be a charitable, pitiful film. It was going to literally show just the lives of people there. 
because I, I got to know them. So Pankaj is, a, I, I need to ring him today actually. Um, but he, he is literally like one of my best friends because I sat on his bike for th- on the back of his bike for like three months whilst I was there. For anyone that's traveled in India, you know that, that you are entrusting your life to someone <laughs> if you're on the back of a bike. Um, and we just talked, and, you know, I got to know him so well. And he opened up about his father taking his own life, you know, jumping into a well, being an alcoholic, being abused, selling cigarettes on the street and tobacco at 11 years old and missing school and turning his whole life around. I was like, if students, if my students that I taught yeah. could hear this, just listen and watch this, it could p- potentially spark something in them that, that changes their opinion or motivates them to do better with their life. Or, you know, it will speak differently to every person that watches it. And so we've created five films, managed to get, you know, Youth Sport Trust uh, on board because it was to do with sport. It was, it was an organisation called Slum Soccer that I was with in India. And that's how Empathy Week kicked off. And then we just got Tez involved. They started sending messages out about it. Uh, and it was only for secondary schools the first year. And it just kind of took off from there and, and schools started using it. And that really started my, I never really used the word empathy when I was teaching. Um, but looking back, I had a very empathetic approach to teaching. I wanted them to, and, and I think the word empathy is, is misunderstood as well in the public domain a lot of the time. It, it's, yes. it's often thought to mean to do good. Yeah. And that is not what empathy means. Empathy is a neutral construct. It's a neutral, um, has a neutral meaning. It means that, to, to understand other people in the, in the simplest way. Now, understanding doesn't mean that I agree or disagree with you. It's, it's, it's neutral. I just want to understand you. And if we can get people to do that more, yes. then I feel that the actions, you know, when we talk about things like compassion and kindness, those are technically actions from a, from a place of understanding. I think actually we focus too much on kindness before, before we've implemented empathy. I think kindness is obviously wonderful, but, schools and and workplaces well let's do a cake sale for this charity let's just raise money okay now we all feel really good we don't it doesn't bring us closer to the cause what would bring us closer to the cause is if we understood someone that maybe it's affecting or someone that's worked there for 20 years that really needs that money to support what they're doing and understanding and I think if the world could have more empathy and it is a skill and practice it we would see less divisive language less hatred less hatred uh, more commonality, more um, celebrating of being diverse, actually, and not having to feel like we have to all conform into one place. And I think that's, you can see now I'm going off about empathy, but it fascinates me so much. And I also think as as much as it's complicated, it's also such a simple approach to life. And I yeah. think if we could have more of it, we would see huge changes across society. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this uh, you've got people like Brene Brown who are very huge mm. on empathy, and you know, she talks a lot about it through her books as well. And I, I'm kind of interested in a couple of things you've said actually. Like, before you started making these videos, did you have any skills in video making? Were you, uh, you know, so to speak, were you an expert outside of the classroom in? you know media before you actually took on I've never never picked up a camera um really before leaving teaching I had a GoPro and yeah made you know that holiday video just like maybe a a few other people had done but I'd never had any training and I spent a lot of time on YouTube what what 
you know creatives call the the youtube university right you can it's free <laughs> you have to wade through a lot of stuff but you can you can learn anything on youtube these days which is what i always used to say to my students as well doing the a levels i was like literally the whole course is there you can you can have a teacher teach you um so i taught myself and i wasn't an expert but over those two years before i really made empathy week the first one i'd done a lot of video making um some of them are awful but as you get better you just keep going and then i'd start doing work for for companies and now i've done work for you know companies like dhl for three um so it is amazing what you can do when you just put a lot of time into developing a skill um so no i hadn't had any kind of training before that but i i ended up doing a lot of projects around homelessness and and creating those films and learning how to i think the the thing that is always difficult as a filmmaker and as a storyteller is that you have to accept that you have that you have unconscious bias as well when you're editing and you need to tell the story as the person that's in it because even if you do an interview with someone like this you'll get you you might cut a little bit out now that's up to you not up to me even though it's it's me that you're interviewing and it's the same as an editor for filming it's like well it, you've said this about your life but it was only a short amount of times am i going to include that am i not so what i do with my films is i always kind of run them back so everything in empathy week even though i get people to sign a release form because it's just the, the standard thing to do i actually say Look, this is your film are you happy for this to be sent out before to, to the world really um because i think that's the right thing to do i agree and can you just explain for our listeners what is involved in empathy week because it's quite it's very successful now it, it has been picked up by loads of people including the tests can you give examples of the kind of activities you've run um and also can you give us examples of your films what were you trying to show mm. and what is was the whole concept behind it yeah amazing so empathy week started off as a project and is now a full, fully fledged business um which it's, it's quite weird to think I don't feel like I've stopped and thought about it too much um but ultimately it, it all stemmed from what I thought I needed as a teacher and then from speaking to other teachers as well knowing that teachers are time poor knowing that often materials cost quite a lot as well and, and all these sorts of things so empathy week in a nutshell is each year we produce five cinematic films of five different humans lives and uh, it's always that last week of February across the world and with that, we also supply uh, like an assembly version within the film. And then we also provide, this year we're providing two lessons per film um, that are extra. So you might want to use those in like citizenship, form time, PSHE. You, excuse me. You could also include them within your English lesson. It's, it's difficult because we're making something that is so, it's structured, but it's flexible at the same time so that schools can use it. Um, and then we also have, after the lessons, if you want, as a school, there's an empathy action project, which is kind of like a 40 page uh, PDF for, for students to take themselves through at secondary school anyway, take themselves through a project where they can actually use empathy and develop the skills of kind of um, entrepreneurialism in a way, social entrepreneurialism and, and think about a, a, something in society that they want to change and actually go out and, and do something about it. With primary schools, we have like classroom projects. And then we actually select a few shortlisted finalists and we have a virtual empathy awards in, in June. 
Now we understand that that's that sounds a lot. If you're listening, you're like, "Wow, that's just too much. We can't do that this year. It's just too much on our plates." We understand that, so we've actually like divided it this year into three stages, and we we say, "Right, if you just watch the films, that and stage one, that is worth doing. That will have an impact on your students based on the qualitative, you know, data and research that we've got from teachers from previous years. Like that will have an impact on them." And what we also say to schools is you don't have to run every empathy week is more of a is turning into more of a kickoff week. And yes, we're celebrating it. But if you want to span your um, films, the five films over five weeks, do that. And what some schools do is they run it as a year group assembly every year and uh, sorry, every week, for five weeks. And then we say, actually, all of your staff have their year group assembly done for a whole five weeks as a whole school. What was really important to us? empathy week is that it was a whole school approach as yeah. well so we differentiate the films from uh, there's an 11 to 18 version mm-hmm. yeah there's a 8 to 10 year old version and there's a 5 to 7 year old version and then within the lesson resources and accompanying assemblies there's there's five different versions so um every key stage in the uk but 5 to 7 8 to kind of 10 11 11 to 13 14 to 16 and then 17 to 18 and that's because the films have various themes in um, and we like to pick out different elements of those that are then relevant to the cognitive age of the child that's actually or teenager that's that's watching it so can you give an example of the kind of themes that you have it doesn't have to be yeah. one of it, just one or two examples that you might be yes so we we have different themes each kind of overarching themes for each week uh, every year so last year was kind of resilience and, and racial diversity this year is about passion and purpose uh, last year we had like a refugee Habib who, who traveled from Afghanistan to the UK which actually became super relevant based on what had happened um, we have like stories about homelessness we had a story about suicide and mental health this year we've got um, James who's got down syndrome I don't know if anyone's actually watched the undateables, but he was on that. Um, and he like his story is just he wants everyone to just see him as a normal bloke in his own words, right? Yeah, so it's like you don't have to pretend around me to speak a different way. Like I know I've got Down syndrome. It's fine. Just just treat me like a normal person. Yeah, exactly. Um his his is about Down syndrome. We've got Lipper, who um her whole saying is that I want to change the world with a football at my feet and a hijab on my head. Yes. And she was a semi-pro footballer and uh, experienced, um, you know, racism and, and also Islamophobia. Um, we've got Courtney, who works works now within mental health, but was kicked out of her home at 16 and kind of grew up in a YMCA. We've got Kwesi, who's actually an ex-student of mine this year, who is a rapper, musician. It's weird to say he's 22. Um but I saw him at school and we've, we've stayed in touch since I left. Um, but he would always sing in assemblies and rap in assemblies. And there was something different about him. And I was like, I was now in a position, I was like, what, you're still doing music and you've gone the path of like, you know, treading a, treading a good line and, and just really dedicating yourself to a passion. Like, what is it? With, because there's not a lot of young people that do that, yeah. that, that, that will give up a night out to go to a recording studio and, really chase their passion so what is it within you so I was trying to get into his head and and tell his story so these are the sort of stories that you can expect and we try and pick like a diverse range of stories because students in school are diverse and what we have seen in the past is that 
the way that I like to describe it, if we all go to the cinema now and watch the new Spider-Man, yeah. let's say we, we go to the same cinema in the same city, uh, the same time on the same day, everything's the same. And as we come out of the film, we're surveyed. Our survey responses will be different. Not because the film was different, we watched ex- exactly the same film, but because our own cultural lens, the way we see the world, our own our own previous experiences have impacted the way that we appreciate Inter- that film. And interpret it, yeah. Interpret it, exactly. Yeah. So and, and that's that's what I think we often forget. But when we show these films to young people in schools, I like to think of it as primary empathy. You're you're watching someone and you're learning about their life and you're you're developing empathy. We know that films can develop empathy. You're developing empathy for that person. But then there's what I would like to call the secondary level of empathy, which is then in the class, you're using some of the reflective questions. As a school, you might have other, as a teacher, you know, teachers can improvise. We know that. Um, They come up with another question. And all of a sudden you get hands raising saying, oh, miss, that's, I've experienced that a little bit. But then, you know, Terry, who's next to Jane, realizes that Jane's experienced some of that and Terry didn't know that before but now Terry knows that a bit more about Jane the person in their class and then the teacher knows a bit more about that and then the teachers open up and say oh I actually don't really resonate with that at all but I now can see that point of view and what you start to get is these discussions and actually empathy building within the classroom and long term we hope that this then translates into trust translates into a community that actually respects and understands what other people are going through and that, and and you, that is empathy yeah and do you feel um because you know I want to pick up on a couple of things obviously a lot of this stuff gets done in like you said citizenship or PSA mm. do you feel that there's an element of safeguarding that we need to be careful of if we are running these projects and students are revealing information how how should schools I mean everybody knows how to deal with safeguarding issues but how can we as teachers really take these projects and make sure that we're we're not um, creating an environment for us which could be detrimental for our students so to speak yeah absolutely so um we do have some guidance along that. We also know that every school has their own safeguarding protocol. We just need to make sure that teachers are aware of that as well, especially new teachers. But, you know, our approach is that, okay, yes, this, this, this may bring up some, some things within the classroom and, and things that you didn't know about students before. Um, if we want the easy route out, okay, let's not do it. And let's just carry on and not involve it because it might bring up something and it's just going to be difficult. Obviously, if you know that a child in your class, let's use last year as an example, you know what's in the films before you show them because you can watch them a month before. And also we we um, provide an outbreak of themes. If you know that a child in your class has just lost their father to suicide, you probably don't want to show that film. <laughs> you know, that that's... We can't tell you as a school what to do because we don't know your students in and out, but you as a teacher do. So you have to have that responsibility and know, okay, this film is not appropriate at this moment in time because that's happened to one of my students. However, you might not know that that's happened to a student and they might, you you might not know that they've previously lost a a member to, to suicide and that may be brought up. But I think it's like we do with it when we show any film, we say, if you want to leave the classroom, if you don't want to watch it, uh, this film has does have themes of this, this, and this. If you don't want to watch it before, you can 
you can step outside and and be sensible with it but if we're saying that you know oh, okay these these might bring up um various various themes that we just don't want to know if students do, that's dangerous as well so i think it's just about being sensible and it's better to know as a school about these these serious issues that potentially your students are going through than not and i think it has brought up that but over the two we're going into our third year in february over two years that we've run it we've never had um from the thousands of students and, and hundreds of schools that take part we've never had schools saying this really caused an issue for us because of because of safeguarding issues we, we've made it clear that you know you have safeguarding things in place um and that these issues are important they're in school and i think what we're trying to do as well is not be as, a, as an organization we're trying to say these things need to be spoken about and whether you've experienced them or not and it's just about making sure that the environment is is right and i think what we found also is that films help to make that environment better because if you go into a class go right let's talk about suicide who's had an experience or who's thought yeah. about killing themselves or who, whereas if you show a, a film students can actually deflect the answers or their explanations onto that person. So Pete was the, the person that I filmed whose father took his own life. You could say, oh, I felt a bit like Pete, or um, it was clear from Pete's explanation here that this was how he felt. And you can film actually as a conversation starter and an opener, unlike just going in and, and it allows students and allows teachers to deflect onto the, onto the film um some of the explanations and that can be really powerful and can be a, almost like a crutch to talking about these really difficult issues in society that we see but often don't know how to talk about are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then little wondle letters and sounds revised is the program for you created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News Saturday the 15th of January is the deadline for applications to primary schools in England Parents with children due to start school in September 2022 must go through their local authority to apply for places at their chosen primary schools. In figures released on the Department for Education's blog Education Hub, it is highlighted that 91.8% of families were offered their first choice of primary school in 2021, 
with 98% receiving offers from one of their top three choices. The website details advice on how to access applications and information on how places are allocated in line with schools' admissions criteria. In Northern Ireland, a profoundly deaf pupil from County Antrim is campaigning for a sign language act after being made aware of how other people in the hearing loss community are supported outside of the province. Alanis Miller is currently studying A-levels in Life and Health Sciences and Mathematics. She hopes to study Health and Social Care and Social Policy at University and has applied to Ulster University and the University of Edinburgh. During the application process, Alanis was made aware that it was not guaranteed that a British Sign Language interpreter would be available for lectures at Ulster University. However, if Alanis was to study in Edinburgh, an interpreter would be guaranteed due to the Sign Language Act in Scotland. Alanis has now begun a campaign appealing for the introduction of a Sign Language Act in Northern Ireland. In a letter to the Lord Mayor of Belfast City Council, she stated that it was important to promote access and that no deaf student should experience the frustrations of being held responsible for their own support needs. The campaign has been praised by the Lord Mayor of Belfast City Council and the head teacher of the secondary school Alanis attends. The Evening Standard reports that hundreds of thousands of pupils will be guaranteed careers advice from the age of 11 if a proposed new law continues to be backed by MPs. The Education Careers Guidance in Schools Bill has cleared the House of Commons with an unopposed third reading and will now undergo further scrutiny in the House of Lords. If the bill is successful, all schools across England will have to guarantee careers guidance to pupils from Year 7, including those who attend academies. In an article on the website Monitor, Emily Marakthor writes about the impact of the pandemic on school children in Uganda. Many children have only just returned to classrooms this month, although relief is expressed by many that this long-awaited return is now a reality. Whilst there is no telling if the return to schools will be disrupted further, the majority are happy to be back, although Uganda's education leaders state that they will continue to ask, what can we do to improve educational opportunities for our children? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of MyFitnessPal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola, the recommended portion size, is nothing like the portion I'd been having. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster. Realising I was eating three or four times the portion I was supposed to has made me think about my other choices, so I ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk. I was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature, even supermarket brands. The app gave me a calorie target based on my weight, height and goal I'd chosen. As I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. 
Over the break, I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, but thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a program that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Sean T, the amazing energetic coach screaming dig deeper and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym i've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping stretching squatting and definitely sweating being honest i was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one i'm not gonna lie i used muscles i don't think i've ever used by day three even sitting still and lying in bed at night hurt after pushing through today on day seven a rest day the pain has subsided and i feel great i just have one word of warning if you're looking to do something like this the long walk from the car park with load books may be impossible in the first week. Read the disclaimer, this is not to be taken lightly. In conclusion, I can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off, but it has made me look at my diet. A DVD fitness program for me is great. Finding 45 minutes is not always easy, and if you want to try before you buy, if you're a member of Netflix or Prime already, there's programs on there which are already in your subscription. Next week, we're back to tech for teaching. I'm Steve Woods, and this was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And you said something interesting earlier. You said that there was a distinction between kindness and empathy. And I really mm. like that because I, you know, when I've been doing my research on it as well, because I am a huge Brene Brown fan, something that's um, something that's important. The World Education Forum have cited empathy being the top of the list for skills to have in the workplace. How can we build our schools so that we are unlocking those skills within our students, but also our staff, you know, for mm. example, you know, trying to um, increase collegiality and making sure that our staff and our students, are, the whole school is based and rooted in empathy. How can we do that? I think if you take it back to like, how can you just improve empathy generally, it, it would lead to some answers. So I would obviously say empathy week is one of them. And the reason I would say that is because it, it, it bases itself around how can you develop empathy generally, which is to experience people that you may never have come across, put yourself in a situation, listen to listen to stories of other people, which is what Empathy Week is all about. So if you didn't do Empathy Week, how what else does that look like? It looks like bringing people in to speak about their lives. But it also, you know, imagine if a staff member, and they, and they need to have the bravery to do this as well, and the, again, the environment needs to be right, but if a staff member talked about their life in an assembly and students got to learn about it and, and their difficult moments as well. I mean, that takes a huge amount of bravery, but I have seen things like that on social media where it is just, whether it's a teacher coming out, coming out as gay and, and, and seeing the reaction of um, the, the school around that. And then what that means for like the trust and what it means for other students who are having, um, you know, thoughts about their own sexuality at a time that they're growing up. And, you know, how can we increase empathy is, is unfortunately, um, with, with a, a profession that is so time poor, the answer is time. You know, if, if, if I actually have time at lunch to sit down, say we were colleagues and, and sit down and say, 
how was your weekend and like what did you do and I learn about maybe your partner and where you're living and maybe you're like saving up for a house and actually you play like squash at the weekend or you play basketball and, uh, or you're really into violin and you like this stuff. The problem is most teachers don't have time to even have a cup of tea together. So how, how can you build a relationship? It really is, it is quite simple when you think about it, but it, but at the same time, it's the, it's the hardest thing to do. And it's the same for students. How can we, we need to create spaces and create time for people to have conversations and experiences together. And, okay, so and it, gonna... it's, it, it's kind of as simple as that, but how do you actually practically do that is really difficult. But that's why we made Empathy Week with, with the idea that it can be ran in form time. So that the, the films like max are 10 minutes, 10 minutes long, because yeah. you need to like fit it into what already is a very rigid structure. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, because something you just mentioned there, having conversations with other staff and trying to find out uh, information about them. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in saying this, but some people do have less empathy than others. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah. I, I can put my hand up to that as well, because I do have an introverted nature. And sometimes I don't really like small talk. So, um, you know, what can we do? Um, is it just practice? Do you just need to practice having conversations with people? What is it that you could do to really, you know, hone and amplify those empathy skills, which people do have, uh, even though it may mm-hmm. seem like some have less than others? Yeah, I would say me knowing that you're an introvert and don't like small talk is even empathy, right? That's under me knowing that about you allows me to empathize with you and when I come into the maybe we both got a free period and I come into the staff room to make a cup of tea and you're making a cup of tea I'm like I'm not gonna you know bombard you with questions because I can see actually I can understand that your personality is like this and I'm gonna allow you to approach me first and you look a bit tired and it's it's noticing all these these human it's it's emotional intelligence right it's it's noticing all these these cues but knowing it and it, it doesn't have to be about small talk and it also doesn't have to be a sit-down interview. I'm talking about, you know, the longevity of empathy and, and actually developing it over time. And it, it's a cultural thing as well. So a teacher that comes into the school in a, within a month, they're not going to know everyone and they're not going to understand everything that's going on. But there's a culture there and it's about embracing that. So, you know, a lot of schools do have a form time routine and they do have themes each half term and they do have maybe a, a certain charity they're supporting for a term or maybe over a year. And it's about just fully throwing yourself into that. Mm. Re- reading fiction and reading books is a really great way of developing empathy. Anything that can get you into another mindset and experience something that you haven't before is really powerful. I think trips are really vitally important. Um, to be planned you know drop down days whatever um, but the, the thing is at the moment citizenship PSHE uh, just experiencing things beyond the the curriculum and the exam timetable are being diminished and and I don't and I think what we also need to understand is now that compared to 30 40 50 years ago yeah the U- UK schools are so much more diverse right we have so many cultures coming together which is an amazing thing, but also means that we need to understand each other more. People always say there's an empathy deficit, but actually increased globalization means that now I can go onto my phone, I can go onto Instagram, I can put hashtag Ghana or hashtag Australia or hashtag 
Cambodia, and I could find people in those countries and see a completely different culture. Yeah. 20 years ago, I couldn't even do that. YouTube yeah. isn't even 20 years old. Can you, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like in our, in our heads, it's just like, like what? So, you know, these cultures and everything that we're experiencing now, and we're seeing all of like the hate speech and everything online. What we need to do is experience more cultures, but in a more uh, human way. So if we can get people to come into school to talk now with COVID and everything that's happened, Zoom is just second nature to, to most people. So actually that creates an opportunity where if you can find, maybe reach out on Twitter. I know you're on, you're, you're on Twitter and a lot of teachers are, yeah. right? Find someone on Twitter and just be like, I've got a few students that would love to like just ask you some questions. You know, what we're, what we're doing with uh, Empathy Week now is we have a small partnership with Snapchat. And that seems quite alien to some teachers. They're like, Snapchat's really bad. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> well, actually, any WhatsApp could be really bad. I could yeah. send a hateful message on WhatsApp. It's just I could email it. someone, but yeah. it's exactly, it's how you use it. And what we're trying to do with them this year is actually get a panel discussion together and allow students to come on online uh, on Zoom once we've got the right uh, parental uh, permissions obviously um, and ask them questions for students they've only ever seen snapchat as that little yellow icon on their on their phone mm. imagine then meeting people that work at the headquarters in LA mm. on a zoom and being able to ask them a question how did you even get to this position how yeah. did you get involved with that how did you get into a job careers experience and, and understanding careers and understanding people in the workplace that's also empathy it's like understanding what someone is and who they are and why they work for an organization and what we're trying to do with them is use help um actually upskill in augmented reality but also base it around empathy mm. so students are then going to have an opportunity to join a workshop and actually create their own lenses or filters um around empathy and actually how can you use tech tech for good and these are the sort of things that Yes, they're very small. We can only offer it to a very small amount of people, but any opportunity that gets a student outside of their bubble and teachers, because we like to think, oh, the students are all in the bubble. We are also, everyone is in their own little bubble, right? How can we, how can you burst that and make that bubble a little bit bigger? And that's, that's the way that I like to think about how I develop my empathy. How can I put myself in a situation that pops the bubble a little bit, makes it a little bit bigger so that I have an understanding of someone who's Muslim, who I have an understanding of someone who's Sikh, who's gay, who's straight, who's black, who's white, who's Asian, you know, and, and I'm a massive believer um, in contact theory. You know, if, if you come into contact with someone who's, um, I don't know, from, okay, my barber, who's from Uzbekistan. Yeah. Okay. I assumed he was Turkish. Yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> uh, I said to him the other day, I was like, I thought you were from Turkey. He was like, you know, he was saying, if we go into another lockdown, I'm going back home to Uzbekistan. And I was just like, I just made an assumption based on his accent and how he was yeah. talking and that, oh, you're and like, it's kind of a Turkish barber. Okay, you must be Turkish. It's like, no, I'm from Uzbekistan. He said it's very similar. You know, I'm just questioning and like build, building a relationship with him as well. And things take time. And I don't think it's about sitting down and asking someone loads of questions, but it's about listening both, you know, verbally, but also visually to someone's body language. My brother is the complete opposite of me. He's a massive introvert. And it, like, if you speak to him in the morning, like we've just spent Christmas together. Um, like you just, you don't, don't speak to him in the morning when he's first got up. You just don't. That sounds like just, our household. 
you just don't do it right because and it's not he's not being rude it's just that's the way he operates whereas I'm up in the morning and I'm like right what we're doing today and he's just like shut up just, just stop talking um so it's just building those relationships but that happens in our classrooms as well doesn't it because you've got students who are very extroverted and very introverted at the same time and every like you said every child is different and they all come from different uh, backgrounds and they've all had different experiences as well your your workshops and the talks that you do um have you been able to see the impact within the children that you help so through through empathy week yeah that's right so so because of also the covid the, also the corporate talks that you do as well yeah so, so so we have more um knowledge from the corporate ones just because we have we actually do those face to face so empathy week we we design as a program that can be downloaded uh and that teachers can use and unless you know we try and hear back from teachers about it mm-hmm. um but it's it's very ultimately people I think after after the work corporate workshops we do actually realize that empathy is a skill I think that's the thing that they realize the most and that they can practice and that not only they can practice but that will benefit both their personal and professional lives mm. so it's it's not just about oh okay because the corporate way of of looking at it is right does this make our business more successful <laughs> you know before I get through to the employees and actually be able to deliver it to them I've got to speak to the the people with the purse strings and the people in charge and they go well okay well what's the point you know what's the point of this um and I think empathy has a bad reputation as being this soft skill yes when ultimately it's the most important skill that there is name me a good leader that isn't empathetic Agreed. or a good team that can work together you cannot have good te- the amount of times we talk about teamwork communication respect all of them involve empathy i like to say empathy underpins all the most crucial human life skills because without it you don't have the other ones and that and that's probably why education world forum also cites it as like the most important but within within respect to, to students and teachers it was amazing there was another podcast that i i got tagged in during lockdown last year or after and it was this teacher who i had no idea who she was talking about empathy week and i think that's that's the nicest thing when you have no kind of influence over someone for them to talk about something that you've helped to create and she was saying we did it online and what I saw after it it's not necessarily that right okay you do empathy week and yes okay now we're all more empathetic it doesn't work like that (laughs) it's it's the it's the actions after it's like are you actually people always say oh how do you measure empathy measure empathy measure empathy it's like you don't measure empathy you measure the the actions that come out of it you know were you more understanding was that was there is there better behavior in class is there all, all these other things which we are looking to actually do some proper research on over time but this teacher was talking about the fact that the student had a really hard time and then she just noticed that the students rather than ignoring it or just being like blase like we're asking questions and curiosity and i think curiosity is a really great marker of, of empathy asking questions the first one of the, the standout pieces of feedback i had for me was the first year where the films were filmed in India and there was a uh, teacher in North London who who basically said to me you know we showed the films and then we I had a uh, a Pakistani girl who arrived two years ago who didn't speak English when she arrived which she was unfortunately like, bullied because of her accent and trying to learn and not understanding um, and she just stood up in class 
after watching one of the films and just said, this is what it looks like where I came from. And all of a sudden, the students in her class, like just kind of, it just, something just dropped, it clicked that maybe I've said something bad to her and all of these things. And actually, although it's India and not Pakistan, I can now visually see where she was two and a half years ago. Yeah. And now she's come here. And she had the confidence to say that this is what I meant earlier when I said these films give permission yeah. for young people to speak up when they wouldn't. When would she have ever said or like got a picture out and said, this is what it looks like or had the permission to speak? Yeah. So what the films are doing as well as for a lot of young people, giving them permission to speak, to share their stories and feel seen and heard. And ultimately, that is the most important thing about empathy is it's a skill that allows people to be seen, heard and respected. Yeah. And you're saying about how do we ultimately get teachers to feel, to feel more empathetic within within the school and how do we uh, get students to feel like there's, there's more empathy within the school? You give people a voice, but most importantly, you hear the voice. And I think that is what underpins empathy and, and how successful it can be. I was saying to you earlier that a lot of your films reminds me of Humans in New York and they, they've yeah. gone on to do fantastic things as well and I yeah. really like the concept of it. You mentioned earlier, obviously, reading increases empathy uh, and, and a few other things you mentioned as well. The problem is that, obviously, as you know, boys don't read a lot. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> Including to get myself. Boys. Yeah, it's very difficult to get boys to read. So mm. um, I guess one of my questions that, I, you know, is really important is toxic masculinity um, mm. and that the media uses this quite heavily um, in order to uh, whatever their agenda is how do you think that impacts our young men and do you think that has an impact on the way that they respond to um, in terms of empathy how they respond to people for example mm, it's a good question I think toxic masculinity is again one of those things where people maybe misunderstand because I think some people think of it as like being mas being anything masculine is then wrong um but I think for, for me the toxic masculinity I suppose the thing that stands out the most is is the things about emotional regulation um and feeling that they have to conform to be someone strong be overly competitive around various things um I think Sorry, your your question again, the, the last so bit was I, about... So, uh, so basically, I'm just asking, because obviously, when you're in a in an organisation, whether you're working with male mm. colleagues or whether you're working mm. with male students, um, uh, sometimes, you know, um, uh, these factors do come in play where, you know, they like you said, they feel that they have to be overly competitive or they have to be a, a certain way. Um, I'm wondering, um, has Empathy Week or has have any of the films that you've uh, released helped with showing a, a kind of softer side to what masculinity is rather than what the media portrays mm. if that makes sense yeah that, that does make sense okay I would say I don't think the films that I we've produced have specifically gone to do that because I don't want to you know even the films that focus on a specific theme, it's not just about that. It's about the person. Um, but I do think, you know, we have we have shown men that are very 
emotional and talking about emotions and they don't I'm thinking particularly about Pete's last year but also Habib when you know he was an Afghan refugee and he's just saying we have to love people you know we have to love your neighbor you don't know what someone's going through you don't know you walk past on the street so yeah I think it's it's showing young men that emotions are are normal and are good and I would like to think that there's there's a huge I think we often get stuck in thinking that everything's bad all the time. But I remember being at school, um, which wasn't too long ago, <laughs> I'd like to think. Um, and then being a no, teacher. No, you're old now, <laughs> <laughs> And then being a teacher and being like, actually, school is is different. Like, you know, the way the way that, you know, even the word gay was used when I was at school. It, it just was you know there's no point denying it It was just like oh that's gay you're gay blah, blah, blah. and then when I was teaching at school it was like you might hear someone say that you might hear another student go don't use that word or don't say it like that and I was just like actually you know things are progressing in a, in a positive way I think we just need to stay on top of it and give examples without like you're saying you know without having to be like this is toxic masculinity and you shouldn't do this and tell me all your emotions because some boys might not want to open up to to me about stuff but again i think this is where relationships are important and as teachers you recognize that actually you you know there's no denying there is an affinity for some students with with certain teachers more than others and when you're dealing with behavior it's like actually you know so can you just can you actually have a word with this student because i know that they for whatever reason respect you a little bit more for me I play I play basketball and when I first started um teaching and I turned up as a science teacher as a science geek in the eyes of all my students so the first basketball practice they were like what what so what why are you wearing those oh so why you got those trainers like just nothing in their head could comprehend that I play basketball because I I loved science as well and then when they saw me play they were like it just just like oh he can actually like play as well like play you know is this the you gang so i then (laughs) my third year (laughs) of teaching there was a there was a theory or an idea amongst slt to um let's collate 24 boys who are all failing um into one class for a year this was so this was year 11 so they I hadn't even taught them in year 10 and they've been in different classes so the school um put 24 young men together 15 16 years old um that were all failing and were report cards at one point I had 12 report cards 12 out of 24 report cards on my desk imagine at the end of the end of the lesson having to fill them in I had to start at like 15 minutes before the end of the (laughs) lesson I was like, you haven't even finished the lesson, but I'm going to assess you on your behaviour. Yeah. And this was the U gang. But part of the reason I got given them was I play basketball and they play basketball, a lot of them. Yeah. And there was a certain level of respect there that meant that I could speak to them in a way that I can talk to them about the top 10 NBA highlights the night before and also give them homework at the same time. And it, it's it's just a natural thing. We have natural affinity. That's why we have friends. We We are friends with some people and not friends with the others. I think we fall into this trap of school of like, okay, you're in a classroom and you're you're this set and you're mm-hmm. therefore doing science and you're all the same. And we forget the individuality. I think this is why time is so important at school. If we can create more time, we can create better relationships. 
with younger people and and staff alike. And that is what I think will change. And the U gang, the reason they're called the U gang is because they self named themselves the U gang. They came up the four flights of stairs to my classroom after Christmas. So this, this was January 2017, I think. And uh, they were all sh- chanting, you gang, you gang. And I could hear them all coming up. And I already knew, I knew all that. Is results. that because of you grade? They all got U's in okay, their mocks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, which was really a pleasant way to start the year. They all ended without U's, every single mm. one of them, even though one of them was actually in a prison cell the day of his chemistry exam as well. Mm. So the, 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 well, that's good. The student, the, but, but for them, what got them through that, I would say was was empathy that I was trying to build with them and they weren't great for me even though they knew they respected me for playing basketball they would still you know I'd turn my back and they'd make frog noises and they'd do this and and they were just really young and immature and to be honest scared they they were the they were perfect example of like a group that have you know got these expectations of masculinity and well I'm not you know if I saw, if I said that I tried, if I actually did try and revise for this test and I failed, then I actually know I'm a failure. So if I don't, if I don't try and I fail, well, it's because I didn't try. So they had an excuse then. So I had to get them out of this, right, you actually have to try. You actually have to work hard. Mm. Like you're going to go in a year and you're going to try and get into college or go into work, whatever it is, you need to apply yourself. I don't care what you've, what lesson you've come from, I don't care what sir or missus said that's annoyed you. You're in my class now. This is what we're going to do. And, I, you know, I did used to show them like motivational videos that were like mm. basketball related and they used to love them. But then we would get down to work and try. And it, it was just managing. My class wasn't about the science knowledge with them. It was more about managing them and wanting them to study and wanting them to learn. And also you've highlighted a very important part about this aspect of failure because we don't allow students to fail within our schools. And I think it's really important because failure teaches you a lot and you can learn yeah. a lot from failure, which is a huge entrepreneurial thing that, you know, you know, you're, you only become successful after failure. There are a lot of people who I have seen who don't believe in that concept and I'm completely different because mm. I do believe in that. I do believe that our students should be allowed to fail and learn from failure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's about that growth mindset, isn't it? Which which I also spoke to them about. And f- failure failure is vital. And I think that's, from my experience of teaching, that's probably the biggest thing that holds a lot of students back is just the unwillingness to be wrong or the unwillingness yeah. to look stupid. Um mm. And the problem with that group of actually putting 24 boys in is it changes the dynamic hugely because it was a mixed school. Um, but then it becomes, they're not trying to impress girls anymore. They're just trying to like be the alpha male within the, yeah. within the group. And I actually had to be like, no, 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 I'm the alpha male. here. <laughs> I'm the teacher. <laughs> yeah. Sit down. I don't care what you're doing, you know, but it would be an absolute battle all the time. Um, but really fascinating. I, I look back on that now and actually, the lad that I mentioned that was in the cell, prison cell, the day of his chemistry exam, um, for something very serious, actually. Uh, I bumped into him for the first time um, just before Christmas in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't seen him since. And it was it was an amazing experience because I, I, in my head, was like, there's no way he's not, like, in prison or in trouble mm. based on his trajectory and not seeing him from that time um 
and I spoke to him he's now doing stuff in property and Mm. but also listening to him talk about his experiences of that and like understanding how young and naive he was and but also how much he respected that like I tried and I think that's the words like I tried with them I really tried to engage them I tried Mm. to like do things differently you know I was this is what I think is also partly wrong with teaching and the structure of the days and the structure of schools is that we have to do everything the same that is a group that is not going to look at books yeah. the same way as another group yeah so one 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 day I was like this is potentially the most stupid idea I've had but right let's all go outside and we're going to play basketball and you can go one-on-one with me or whatever in my suit and play and you know I, if I'd have asked permission to do this from like SLT they'd have said absolutely not like these are these are the boys that run around like can hurt people and will do whatever and are stupid. But there was not, I said, right, we've got to be absolutely we've got to go past her teacher's office, everyone be silent. Got there, play basketball for like half an hour and just had a bit of fun with them. Mm-hmm. And they were a bit confused as to like what we were doing. But at the end of it, I said, right, why why am I red? And why is like Dylan red? And because most most of the boys in there are like a, a black black boys. I went, oh, because your blood's going. I said, well, it's the same for you as well, but maybe you can't see it as much because you've got darker darker skin. But why why is my kicking red at the top? Oh, it's blood, sir. It's blood. Okay, well, why is the blood going? Oh, because you're hot. And what we got out of this is we I taught them about homeostasis yeah. within about five minutes, and they got the five key points. Okay, so your blood goes to the surface your your veins uh mm. dilate so more blood can reach reach the surface you sweat as yeah. that sweat cools you're cooling off so i taught them all about homeostasis yeah. from playing basketball outside and they all remembered that lesson forever yeah now i could have gone through and shown diagrams on the board and yeah that's 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 a one-off type of lesson but it was that creativity that allowed them to understand that and remember it and when it came to the exam they, I remember there was a question about it they all came out and said oh, yeah and like we're really proud of themselves for remembering it but it's like we have to I think what we need in education is more freedom and and every teacher will be probably saying it's easier for you to say now you're out of it and mm. if you're back in it and I completely empathize with that because I remember at the time as well being like I just I just need to do a, a mm sometimes you just need like a book lesson (laughs) you're so tired and you're just like and I think that's fine as well you need to go through this book and you need to answer the questions and I'll come around and help and I think that's fine as well but it's about having the freedom and the mix and and creativity and trust we need to trust our teachers like we need to trust we need trust from every level of education from education minister all the way through from Ofsted we need to start feeling like a team in education yeah. whereas at the moment it's a bit of a system of fear everyone seems pitted against each other even schools it's like rather than appreciating that school got good results it's just like a competition yeah. and I know a lot of schools do we do go in and experience what everyone's doing but there's not enough collaboration and if you look at some of the most successful businesses in the world which ultimately schools are yeah and our companies they're just running in a different way they the most successful often collaborate do partnerships do this or that together but again what stops that from happening time resorting lack of lack of yeah. lack of opportunity yeah 
I agree with everything that you've said there and it's been really interesting talking to you uh, about empathy and empathy week and it all sounds fascinating um, and I'm going to explore more into it as well because I do think it is something that um, my interests lie in as well. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Saturday the 15th of January is the deadline for applications to primary schools in England. Parents with children due to start school in September 2022 must go through their local authority to apply for places at their chosen primary schools. In figures released on the Department for Education's blog Education Hub, it is highlighted that 91.8% of families were offered their first choice of primary school in 2021, with 98% receiving offers from one of their top three choices. The website details advice on how to access applications and information on how places are allocated in line with schools admissions criteria. In Northern Ireland, a profoundly deaf pupil from County Antrim is campaigning for a sign language act after being made aware of how other people in the hearing loss community are supported outside of the province. Alanis Miller is currently studying A-levels in Life and Health Sciences and Mathematics. She hopes to study health and social care and social policy at university and has applied to Ulster University and the University of Edinburgh. During the application process, Alanis was made aware that it was not guaranteed that a British Sign Language interpreter would be available for lectures at Ulster University. However, if Alanis was to study in Edinburgh, an interpreter would be guaranteed due to the Sign Language Act in Scotland. Alanis has now begun a campaign appealing for the introduction of a Sign Language Act in Northern Ireland. In a letter to the Lord Mayor of Belfast City Council, she stated that it was important to promote access and that no deaf student should experience the frustrations of being held responsible for their own support needs. The campaign has been praised by the Lord Mayor of Belfast City Council and the head teacher of the secondary school Alanis attends. The Evening Standard reports that hundreds of thousands of pupils will be guaranteed careers advice from the age of 11 if a proposed new law continues to be backed by MPs. The Education Careers Guidance in Schools Bill 
has cleared the House of Commons with an unopposed third reading and will now undergo further scrutiny in the House of Lords. If the bill is successful, all schools across England will have to guarantee careers guidance to pupils from Year 7, including those who attend academies. In an article on the website Monitor, Emily Marakthor writes about the impact of the pandemic on school children in Uganda. Many children have only just returned to classrooms this month, although relief is expressed by many that this long-awaited return is now a reality. Whilst there is no telling if the return to schools will be disrupted further, the majority are happy to be back, although Uganda's education leaders state that they will continue to ask, what can we do to improve educational opportunities for our children? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of MyFitnessPal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola, the recommended portion size, is nothing like the portion I've been having. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster. Realising I was eating three or four times the portion I was supposed to has made me think about my other choices, so I ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk. I was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature, even supermarket brands. The app gave me a calorie target based on my weight, height and goal I'd chosen. As I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. Over the break, I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, but thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a program that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Sean T, the amazing energetic coach screaming dig deeper and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym i've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping stretching squatting and definitely sweating being honest i was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one i'm not gonna lie i used muscles i don't think i've ever used by day three even sitting still and lying in bed at night hurt after pushing through today on day seven a rest day the pain has subsided and i feel great i just have one word of warning if you're looking to do something like this the long walk from the car park with load books may be impossible in the first week read the disclaimer this is not to be taken lightly in conclusion i can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off but it has made me look at my diet a dvd fitness program for me is great finding 45 minutes is not always easy and if you want to try before you buy if you're a member of netflix or prime already there's programs on there which are already in your subscription next week we're back to tech for teaching i'm steve woods and this was two minute tech two minute tech with steve woods your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Where do you see this going next? Because you've got Empathy Week, which is global. Uh, it's happening mm. on, a, on a huge scale. What's next for your organisation? Yeah, ultimately, 
whilst we've reached a lot of schools, we want to get engagement up. So like our, our in terms of reach, you know, last year it was around, I think, half a million. But in terms of engagement, it was 80,000 students, which for us is amazing still. Um, but we just That's want to really engage rich. more and more. Yeah. yeah, engage more and more schools, more and more students. Um, whilst we're global, it is only in English and mm. a lot of teachers still translate it. So we want to, you know, I'm talking with organisations in uh, Brunei, in Israel, in uh, Ecuador and Nepal. So we try, we we will eventually try and translate into as many languages as possible, giving more and more students access to it. We're trying to make the films better every year, the opportunities better every year. Um, ultimately, our kind of our long term vision and mission is to create an empathy generation, create a, a generation of students that leave school that have the skill of empathy and know its importance, and then continue to go on and, and build that skill. Um, excuse me. <coughs> sorry um but the most the most important thing for us is that we, we have a long-term approach we're not trying to do something in the short term we're trying to do something in the long term and that for us is that if a child takes part in empathy week every single day sorry every single year of their school life they'll have experienced 13 different empathy weeks and they'll have watched 65 different people's life stories and i think that is ultimately going to help change imagine someone okay I've, I've experienced 65 different people that i would have never never otherwise met from all over yeah. the world i'm planning to go to nepal in february um to be there for empathy week but also then to film for 2023 and the idea is that every year we do go to a different country and continent and tell the stories of people from there and it's if you can experience that every year and have that re- yearly reminder and then build empathy into the fact the fabric of of what we're doing you know my my ambition is to is to get empathy as as that skill but also that framework for schools to to embed into their curriculum so it, it doesn't even have even an english lesson creative writing that's yeah. empathy but actually mm. pointing that out to maybe students and increasing opportunities the more we can increase opportunities for every student yeah. At school, the more we can inspire them, the more we can create create a creative spark, the more we can get them interested in school and the, the better learners they're going to become. And that might not necessarily translate into the best maths grade, but it will translate into better grades across the board for every student and better opportunities. And they're going to come into a workplace, which now, you know, some of the, the big four firms in London or, you know, across the UK uh, for example, Ernst and Young don't yeah. necessarily require a degree anymore. Yes, agreed. Google don't require a degree yeah. anymore. It's still very, you know, needed to get into most jobs there. But the world is opening up in a way that apprenticeships, I think, are going to start coming back. There's going to be more reliance on emotional intelligence skills as artificial intelligence increases. Yes. Um, we need to focus on these human skills. And that is what is going to get you a job. Because I know now as an employer myself, I don't care what what you got as a degree. I don't even care how skilled you are in the skill that I need, unless I can work with you. And unless, and, and that doesn't mean you have to agree with me. That just means that we can understand each other and that you have the emotional intelligence to pick up on cues, to, to be respectful, to write emails in the, in the right way, to, to be creative and problem solve. And empathy is linked to all of those. So I want people with empathy. And I think the world needs people with empathy. 
Yeah, and it's like I said earlier, it's one of the most cited skills uh, in the workplace. Um, and so I agree. I agree with everything you've said. And um, I'm actually fascinated by everything you've said today. So thank you very much for coming on and sharing that with us. Thank you very much. I hope you guys go on to do uh, much bigger and uh, better things than what you're already doing. You're already doing some fantastic stuff. If people want to find out more, where can they find information from? Yeah, so they can go to empathy-week.com and um, you can see there. there's a, the trailer there. You can register really easily. Um, we do make it free for every state and government school across the world. Uh, private schools do have to pay, but it, it turns out at like £1.50, £2 a head. There's lots of opportunities involved with that. You then We try and make it as easy for teachers as possible so that can, one teacher can sign up, download, um, all of the powerpoints and resources and put them on a, an internal drive so it, it saves loads of teachers having to do it um, we're also on um, twitter at the empathy week instagram is just at empathy week facebook at empathy week and yeah please do reach out and um, if you want to get in contact with me as well i'm always looking to get in contact with teachers and just form relationships with schools because we have opportunities often arising whether that's in research or example with with snapchat and other opportunities but yeah always keen to hear hear feedback as well thank you so much for coming on today ed thank you okay if you're listening back thank you very much for listening to the podcast Thank you very much to Ed who turned up um, to um, record this interview with me. I really enjoyed uh, listening to him. We've got Khalil coming up next with his show. And I'm actually excited about that because he's got Lekha Sharma coming on to talk about well-being, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and stick around for the other hosts as well. Uh, it's a good lineup as usual. I uh, will see you in two weeks' time. Um, I'm not here next week. It'll be Jaya who'll be here instead. Um, I've got some fabulous guests coming up in uh, two weeks' time, two phenomenal female guests. I'm not going to name them just yet, but I am very, very excited. Have a good weekend. Take care. <laughs>